I want to take a second and very kindly thank the people that continue to support me on Patreon. My patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I am going to shout them out. I'll give you the two rules for today's podcast, and then we will get well on our way to examining just how big of a train wreck we are in the midst of witnessing here when it comes to the macro economy. It should be exciting, especially if you're a pessimist. You'll love this one. First and foremost... First and foremost, my podcast is brought to you by JM Bullion. They are my exclusive gold and silver providers. They're the only place I order my gold and silver bullion from. The link to them is in my podcast description. They've been in business for nearly a decade now. They've done over $3 billion in sales. They always turn around my orders very quickly. They always ship them quickly. They always have a decent amount of inventory. And QTR podcast listeners have their own salesperson at JM Bullion. So if you don't feel like messing around with the website or calling up, just email Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at jmbullion.com. Tell her QTR sent you. She would be more than happy to help you out if you're trying to get your hands on some silver or some gold, which is a good idea because, I mean, in my opinion, it's a good idea. I'm not a financial advisor, but I like gold and silver, so I eat my own cooking when I say I think it's a good idea um, because the dollar is just being mercilessly beaten into submission What is he saying, Grandma's boy? It's like if Mike Tyson was fighting an infant. (laughs) That's That's how badly the dollar is being beaten into submission. Regardless, check out my friends over at JM Bullion. They're the best. Also, check out my buddy George Gammon over at the Rebel Capitalist Pro platform. Now, with Brent Johnson doing a weekly Q&A, I think, over there. In addition to George, in addition to Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh, George Gammon is what the QTR podcast could have been if I was smarter and more motivated and knew what I was doing and had a lot of money. But I'm none of those things, which is why you're stuck here in the gutter listening to me and George Gammon has like 400,000 YouTube subscribers, but he is an exceptional source of information. I love George. I love his platform. I love the live Q&As, the looks into the model portfolios. I love the forums. They're big supporters of ours. Their Rebel Capitalist live event this summer was a huge success. Got a lot of love for George Gammon. Check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. The link is in the podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my longtime supporter, Mr. Sang Lucci. And even if you don't check out the Steam Room, which, by the way, is, in my opinion, the best piece of software out there to track money coming into the options market to help you hopefully telegraph what's going to happen in the equities market, not only that, but Lucci has been a good friend and has been supporting the podcast for years now. So even if you don't want to check out the Steam Room, which, by the way, you should because there's like a free trial, and if you reach Lucci, he's going to work with you and give you whatever the hell you want because if you tell him you're my friend, he's going to make sure you get taken care of. Tell him you're a QTR podcast listener. He will make sure you get taken care of. But if not, at least just follow Lucci on Twitter. Show him some love on Twitter. And see if we can get everybody to fucking tweet to Sang Lucci Thank you for supporting the QTR podcast because he's been riding with me for a long time and he's a good buddy of mine. So a lot of love for Mr. Lucci today. I want to want to let you know that. Sang. Uh, also check out the Steam Room. Blah, 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 blah. Great piece of software. He's incredible. Uh, and you can get a free trial at wallstreetjesus.com or check out the link in my podcast description. I love the Steam Room. It beats this shit out of whatever unusual options activity program or software or guru you're using at home. Trust me, and it's affordable, and it can pay for itself if you don't use it like an asshole. How about that? This podcast 
is also brought to you by who's the fucking other sponsor? Come on, dickhead. Figure it out before you do the podcast. Jesus Christ. Oh, the Trader's Path. Yeah, but he uh, he dropped off. But thanks for everything, Pete. We still love the Trader's Path. I'll put you in the fucking podcast description one more time, maybe. Check out my friends also at Corvus Gold, Investors Underground, Ken R., Chris Bede, Nicholas Parks, Matthew Zimmer, my friend, my buddy Jay Mintzmeyer. If you're looking for a shipping or dry bulk analyst, check him out. Russ Valenti, my brother, I should be seeing you in October, finally, for Traders for a Cause this year. Crichton Titus and Camila Soul, thank you. And how about some of my newest patrons, people that have signed up to support me recently, like Seth Donnelly. What's going on, brother? I appreciate your $1 per month pledge. You are the fucking man in my book. I know it's only a dollar, but you know what? You give what you can, and you're not getting anything in return for your money other than me just being a sociopath on the microphone here, and it's not like you're buying into a service, so every dollar I appreciate just as much as somebody that donates five dollars, like my friend Gavin Thomas. Thank you, my kind friend. Joshua, what's going on, brother? Whatever it takes is right, my friend. Thank you for your kind support. Gerald Burns, Brad Nesseth, Ed Kammeyer. Thank you, Eric Wilhelm, Kathleen Kelly. Thank you for your continued support. David Reed, the Mad King of Metals in Traverse. I really am mystified that people support me monetarily, but I appreciate it. Like you, Jim Thomas. Thank you, my brother. And Doug Brimer, checking in. Swinging big. I appreciate that shit, Doug, very much. You guys are the capitalistic engine that keeps the podcast going, like Marcos M. and Jim Fahey and Patrick King and Thomas Heberl. Thank you guys for your continued support. Sil Sievert Wallen, what's up, dude? Thank you so much. I still see you. Some people that have been with me for a while, like orders at Queely.org. What's going on? And my friend Bart Courtright and Bad Daddy Publishing, still supporting the podcast. Going back even further, we're going to bring it back to 2019 and guys like Paul Isaac and Andre Korzynski. And you got to have faith. Still support me and Cynthia Yeager. Thank you so much. I still see that shit. I see your names all the time. I get emails from some of you. I appreciate you guys so fucking much. I really do. I'd like to sit here and grovel and kiss your ass, but I have other things to talk about today. Uh, First and foremost, this podcast has a three-drink minimum, formerly a two-drink minimum, uh, but due to inflation, it's now three-drink, and that inflation, I can guarantee you, is not transitory. That inflation is here to stay. We're at three. At some point, we're going up to four, And at some point, we're going to get to a point, if inflation really gets out of control, where you'll have to consume so much alcohol that you'll be legally dead before you listen to the podcast, which, by the way, can actually work as a benefit because I don't really have anything meaningful or important to say. And along those lines, finally, I am not a financial advisor. This is not financial advice. You shouldn't listen to anything I say. You shouldn't do anything I do. You shouldn't even consider the words that are coming out of my mouth. I encourage people to rate my podcast one star on iTunes. You should do that. This way, the lower the ratings it gets, the less people hear it, the less people are subjected to my bullshit, and then you don't have to worry about anything else. Everybody's happy. Turn your shit off. Turn me off. God help us all. Let's move forward. All right. What do I want to talk about today? If you guessed inflation, you are correct. But there are so many other things I want to talk about as well. Well, first and foremost, I literally just saw on Twitter an article I think from ProPublica that suggested Biden might pick a new Fed chair. That should be interesting, especially if he picks somebody that's capable of critical thinking. 
uh, things could really get interesting. I watched Powell's testimony today, and what did he say? Well, he said a whole lot of nothing. He said a whole lot of backtalk and doublespeak and nonsense. We're, we're, we might do this, but we might do that. We'll let you know if we're going to taper, but we might not taper. But if we do taper, we'll let you know well in advance. But we might not let you know well in advance. But we might not taper to begin with. It's like, fuck me. Can you just put your testimony down on a fucking post-it note and just hand it over? You know, first off, as I've commented many times on this podcast, you know, when you have people like Maxine Waters, the House Financial Services Committee, trying to question Jerome Powell about finances, which is something in the economy, which is something, of course, she knows nothing about. Uh, it is already a moot point. It is already an exercise in complete futility. And by the way, just so I know that I'm not alone, I was playing fucking chess in the park today. I stepped outside to go uh, lose my daily, uh, you know, $2 to the chess hustler uh, at the park. I beat him once, but i lost probably 850 times. However, I'm a terrible chess player too, by the way. Terrible. I just started playing a couple years ago. We'll talk about that at some point. Not now. But anyways, so I'm sitting there fucking playing chess and I was actually up a couple of pieces and wound up losing, of course, because that's what I do. Uh, it is a horrible, fiery train wreck whenever I play chess. Not unlike the macro economy itself. All right, honestly, fucking ADD is over. I'm playing chess, and this guy is having this conversation next to me with another guy talking about exactly what I'm talking about now. I can hear the dude out of the corner of my ear saying, I I turned on the testimony. I later found out the guy works in VC, right? Because I had to ask him. I was like, what do you do? He's like, oh, I work in VC. But he's saying right behind me, I turned on the testimony. I turned on Powell's testimony. I had to turn it off because fucking nobody in Congress understands what they're talking about. I'm like, fuck me. I thought I was the only person that noticed that. You know, just just the fact that we, you know, people are asking what the Fed's role is going to be in dealing with climate change. It's like, last time I checked, they're not fucking meteorologists, okay? Jerome Powell has, what, a PhD in economics? I mean, what are you going to ask him about next? Volcanoes? You know? What, what should we do about this geyser here in Iceland that keeps uh, shooting off? But I don't know. Print money and hire somebody that knows what the fuck they're doing to fix it? Well, we can't fix it. It's in the Earth's core. Uh, It's kind of on the planet the way that we were given. uh, Well, that's all right. We'll just print the dollar into a coma and try to address it anyways, which is basically what they're doing with climate change. You know, the whole climate change circle jerk with the Fed is fucking hilarious. Actually, it's really sad, right? Just when you thought that the Fed couldn't get more arrogant. I mean, we understand, at least it's my opinion It is my strongly held point of view that our monetary policy comes from a place of arrogance and ethnocentrism because we believe that we are at the center of the universe and that we can usurp natural economic laws in any way possible and that we're so smart. We've got such fucking huge brains that we've figured out a way to make an economic system where everything's going to be perfect and we never have to live through a depression or a recession ever again. And of course, as we've noted many times on this podcast, I don't think that's the case. I think the Fed is completely unaware of the collateral damage it's doing by, for lack of a better word, copulating with the corpse of the U.S. dollar, which is everybody knows quantitative easing is 
widening the inequality gap in the country. Everybody except the Fed. That's also my favorite, too, when they ask him that, you know, at Congress. Has the Fed looked into studies uh, regarding inequality and monetary policy? And he's always like, well, yeah, well, now you mention it. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe we should fucking look at that. You know, we'll, uh, we'll conduct a study. It'll be a 20-year study. I'll get back to you in 20 years when we're all dead and we'll talk about it then. It's like, look, it's not that fucking hard to understand how completely uh, shifting the purchasing power uh, of the nation from the have-nots back up to the haves by inflating financial assets. It's not some great fucking mystery. I mean, that's exactly what's going on. It's bifurcating the inequality gap, the higher class, the upper class, people that can make a shitload of money off dividends and off financial assets, and the have-nots. But anyways, that that is just one way in which the monetary policy in this country and many of the major central banks in the world is arrogant. But another piece of arrogance comes from this assumption, not only from Congress, but I guess also from the Fed, that there is going to be some central banking solution to the climate crisis. It's like, look, the fucking earth has been here for like six billion years or whatever, right? Let me see how old the Earth is before I fuck that up and I got to deal with some email from somebody. The Earth's not six billion years old. How old is the Earth? 4.5 billion years. All right, go fuck yourself. All right, so the Earth has been here for 4.5 billion years and the Federal Reserve has been in existence for like less than 200 years and we think that this little, you know, less than 200-year-old entity is, I think, less, yeah, maybe slightly over 100 years old now, right? I think some, so it's around 100 years old, the Fed, that this organization is going to have the scientific solution for affecting broad climate change on a global scale, which is undoubtedly a noble cause, but when you start to look at things like the cost-benefit analysis of like, all right, well, what's a trillion dollars going to buy you in this fight? Is it going to buy you one one-thousandth of a degree over the course of X amount of years? But the notion that Jerome Powell is going to know what the solution is, I mean, they ask him like he works for the fucking Weather Channel. You know, he sits in an office and hits the go button on an Excel spreadsheet to print money. And then he comes out and talks himself around in circles, and then I'm you know, presumably goes home and drinks red wine and talks to his dog, you know? I hope I didn't fuck it up today, Fido. You know, I've used that analogy before, but, I mean, this guy doesn't have special powers. It's the notion. It would be like if you came up to me and you were like, well, Chris, how are we going to get the next Apollo lander to the moon? I'll be like, fucked if I know. I've been working in restaurants as a bartender for 20 years. Like, how the fuck am I supposed to know how to get to fucking outer space? You know, but instead of me just saying that, I'd just answer you confidently with more double talk and backspeak. Well, you know, I've got, I've got a plan. Uh, uh, in between washing dishes tonight, I was thinking about drawing up some schematics on the back of a TGI Friday's napkin with a pen that I borrowed from my waitress. And uh, I can bring those back here to Congress. It's like, I don't have a fucking clue how we're going to get to the moon. Just like Jerome Powell doesn't have any clue why it's 90 degrees out today and 89 tomorrow and 76 the next day. Why don't you might as well ask what the fucking weather report is? Hey, Jerome. Hey, what's your 10-day? What's the Fed's 10-day forecast? 
Well, uh, Congressman uh, Waters, uh, it was a wonderful question. Uh, it looks like uh, partly sunny in 76 tomorrow. Uh, and the day after that, it's going to be a 15% chance of uh, scattered thunderstorms uh, with barometric pressure dropping. It's like the dude fucking doesn't know shit about climate change. He also doesn't happen to know shit about monetary policy, in my opinion. Or maybe he does. Like, maybe all of these economists and their degrees are very smart. And I have, and I will go down in history as the fool who made the podcast criticizing all of them once we're all living in a utopia together. And you know what? That, if that happens, by the way, I'm okay with that. You know, even if I'm dead. Just know, like, it doesn't suck. Like, I'll take the ass whooping. I'm okay with being wrong my whole life. Especially because I think I'm right. So, you know, it's better to die on your feet than live on your knees when it comes to the podcasting world, at least, and it comes to my take on monetary policy. So that's the prescription I'm putting into place here. But anyways, what the fuck is the Fed going to do about climate change? I mean, let's get real. Other than print money, give it to the government who is, in my opinion, probably the worst possible capital allocator. Uh, you know, it would be better if the Fed just took bids directly. I mean, I don't even know, you know, what what kind of a plan would be put into place to try to lower CO2 emissions, other than subsidizing and incentivizing people to use EVs and to use, uh, you know, more environmentally conscious things, reward companies, industries, and kind of use the dollar as a carrot on a string to entice people to do that, which I think is happening to some degree. But it'd be better if contractors just submitted their bids right to the Fed. You know, here I am. Uh, I am uh, JGL Plumbing. Uh, my plan is to put 300 million uh, water-efficient toilets in the homes of every American because every American deserves a flush that's good for the environment. Here's my fucking bid. Check it out. And then the next guy comes in. Who are you? I'm fucking Tom Smith roofing. All right, Tom Smith. What are you doing? Well, I want to put fucking solar panels on every house in the country. And my goal is to, you know, decrease our dependence on fossil fuels. Okay, fine. I'd rather have the Fed allocate the capital. The problem is, you know, the Fed prints the money. They buy fucking bonds with it. Then the money goes to the government. And then you got like, you got another step. Now the money has moved from the Fed and instead of just going, you know, helicopter money to whatever bullshit contractor bid is being put in, it's got to make a short stop at the government, which of course means that, you know, it will be used as uh, an incentive to create new legislation, which if you've ever read like an omnibus spending bill, you know, means that, uh, you know, if we were to spend $1 trillion on climate change initiatives, what that really means is we're going to spend $100 billion on climate change initiatives and $900 billion on all types of pork that they stuff into these bills like, I don't know, postmodern dance studies being conducted in Senegal. Okay, fine. You know, we're going to we're going to save the Nordic owl, the great Nordic owl. There's only 13 of them left. We got to get all 13 of them and get them fucking. You know, like Biodome, remember? You want to get them to start porking, right? He's like, yeah, I want to get them to start porking. We need to save the Nordic owl. Otherwise, what? Otherwise, what? The whole reason the Nordic owl, which I just made up. I don't even know if that's a real fucking thing. But the whole reason the Nordic owl isn't doing well 
is because it is the free market of nature uh, determining that it's not fast enough or it doesn't look around quick enough to see when it's about to get killed or it's not fucking enough or it's eating the wrong food or it's just, you know, hasn't evolved properly and it's just being wiped off the map and that's it. And what's going to happen is if you get a whole bunch of Nordic owls to just make 500,000 new Nordic owls, they're all just going to eventually die off again and then when some stupid spending bill... And another 30 years from now, we're going to have to fucking spend another $100 billion. We want to spend, we need to spend $100 billion to save the Nordic owl because every animal deserves a chance. It's like, fucking no, it doesn't. There's like 10 trillion species out there. There's like 100,000 of them that like are discovered and die every day. Obviously, I'm not Charles Darwin and have no fucking idea what I'm talking about, but it's something like that. You know, that's the whole thing. That's the free market of nature. It's evolution, it's predators, it's, you know, all the shit you learn in, like, second grade uh, science class, right? The plant is growing, good, oh, photosynthesis, good, the xylem and the phloem, the food goes to the leaves, ah, you know, when there's no food, the leaves die, okay, now we get it, it's nature. Anyways, God, I don't even remember what the fuck I'm talking about. The point is, you know, Jerome Powell can't do anything about climate change. It's just so stupid. And it's just like, it's just virtue signaling. And there's this like agreed upon approval of just virtue signaling that nobody talks about. It's like, we got it. We have, everybody acknowledges kind of tacitly that we need to say something about climate change because it's bad. You know, so they say some stuff. This is bad, you know? All right, we are committed to social justice. We are committed to climate change. We don't want innocent people to die. Okay, all right. Maybe people should start examining how the widening of the inequality gap is really lowering the quality of life for some people, which eventually uh, probably does result in more deaths than would normally occur or quicker deaths than would normally occur. That'd be an interesting study. Wouldn't it? Hey, uh, inflation came in today at, I don't know, fucking 58% or whatever came in today. The CPI came in today. Of course, maybe on CNBC, Steve Leeson would say it beat analyst expectations. Well, like it's a like it's a positive, like they're reporting free cash flow, right? It's like, no, this is one where you don't want to beat analyst expectations. We'll get on Leesman in a second, too. I almost lost my lunch when I turned him on today. This study would be like, what happens to everybody's quality of life when the dollars that they have saved lose 5% of their purchasing power in a year? What does it mean? It means that if you're earning $50,000 a year, you know, this year, and you could buy $50,000 worth of shit, it means that next year, your $50,000 a year is only going to buy you $47,500 worth of crap. And what does that mean? It means you have less purchasing power the next year. It means you can buy less shit, do less things, spend less money. If you, assuming you're saving some, you want to save the same amount. You or maybe you can't save the same amount. So an interesting study would be like, how does that bar of lowering quality of life shorten people's lifespans? Right? You want to be a social justice warrior. You want to be woke at the Fed? Try not fucking raising the cost of living for everybody without really understanding why you're doing it other than to inflate away the pornographic amount of debt that's currently outstanding. And maybe I can understand why less purchasing power next year 
is a good idea, how that helps humanity, whilst at the same time injecting trillions of dollars into the corporate bond market, the stock market, which again further widens the inequality gap, right? So one boot is kicking in the face of the middle and lower class by rising prices and lowering their purchasing power, while the other boot, you know, mashes the same person in the nuts at the same time by widening the inequality gap and you know, raising the uh, bar, raising the or, or, or widening the distance between the haves and the have-nots, right? Which is why Elon Musk picks a fucking booger out of his nose and his net worth goes up $100 million and you have to work 10 hours a day to make $150, which is then subject to various taxes and comes to you in the form of a check that is about $95, right? And that's just why... You always wonder, like, what's this escape velocity to be rich, right? I mean, these people have so much money that their money just makes so much money that it's like, you know, they make an interest in dividends, uh, you know, 50 years worth of your salary. And, 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 you know, that inequality gap just continues to widen. Oh, Jeff Bezos donated $200 million to the Smithsonian today. Oh, well, great. Thanks, Jeff Bezos. You know, and I don't have any beef with Bezos. He earned it all. I really think he earned it all. I mean, Amazon is a true rags-to-riches story. And then he fucking gave half of it to his ex-wife, too. Even so, he paid he paid the ultimate tax. The, uh, the uh, you know, the divorce tax. You know, Amazon is providing wonderful services and lower prices for many people. You know, whereas Musk, I take specific beef with because I don't think his company's ever going to be profitable. I think it's just an ongoing kind of smoke and mirror show. But... We'll see. Maybe today will be the day I'll be proven wrong on that or tomorrow. You know, if you want to watch some shit, go to my YouTube channel. Go back to February of 2021. I did a video called The Anatomy of Bubbles Bursting while Tesla was at like over 900 and Bitcoin was at like 57,000. That explains everything there. Speaking of which, CEO, very large brain. It's huge, folks. I've got a big a brain. Remember <laughs> Remember when Trump said that? China thinks I have a very big a brain. <laughs> clean coal, folks, which means we're going to take the coal, we're going to clean it, and then that's uh, clean coal. It's clean coal. It's actually what he said. He Actually what he said in one speech, we're going to take the coal and we're going to clean it. <laughs> and he did little guys with fucking little toothbrushes in the mines and just cleaning off Cleaning off the coal. This one's done, sir. Throw it into the furnace. Anyways, CEO Elon Musk, Mr. Giant Brain himself, Elon Musk. Oh, my Trump is on today. I like my my Trump impression. Joe Biden sleeps in a basement. Sleeps in a basement, comes out, wins 81 million votes. Nobody's ever heard of the guy before. He can't hear the fucking dinner bell, folks. He has, no idea, he has no idea what day it is, ladies and gentlemen. Cubs out, wins an election with 81 million votes. Yeah, okay, folks. <laughs> anyway, CEO Musk was on trial this week in Delaware at some uh, chancellor court. I forget what it's called. The Delaware Court of Chancellors, the chancery, whatever. The point is the uh, trial 
is because shareholders sued Elon Musk, alleging that Musk was unilaterally pulling the strings in approving the buyout of Solar City, which of course at the time was the business equivalent of putting a bag of shit on somebody's front porch and lighting it on fire. <laughs> so uh, shareholders sued him. It just so happens that Elon Musk's cousin, Lyndon Rive or Lyndon Reeve, I don't know how you say his name. The guy's a goofball. I just saw a picture of him the other day. Lyndon Rive was the CEO and he was doing such a spectacular job that the company was on the verge of, you know, imploding like a dying star. Uh, and of course, Elon Musk had a pecuniary interest in the company in the form of, mm, I don't know, like 22% of the fucking equity or something ridiculous. And I think SpaceX was holding Solar City bonds too at the time. So you have uh, some meta risk there, right? You have the risk of the whole fucking Musk uh, Triforce of boondoggles imploding unto themselves between SpaceX and Tesla and Solar City and all the other, all our other friends here at the fucking Cash Burning Academy. But regardless, shareholders allege that Musk bailed the company out, which of course he did, in my opinion. It's hilarious to watch this guy testify and get combative with the plaintiff's attorney this week. It's almost like everybody forgot the guy faked an $80 billion buyout bid for his company. And people are sitting there, you know, they're having a trial that includes Musk testifying as to whether or not he was unilaterally making decisions. But why are we even having a discussion as to whether or not this guy, you know, has the moral compass necessary to not, you know, to actually recuse himself from the deal as he claims he did? The guy faked the largest fake buyout in public company history. So let's start with that. He's lied about everything. Fucking everything. You see the full self-driving version 9 that's on the roads now? We'll talk about that. Speaking of planes crashing into the mountain, holy shitballs. Anyways, but apparently a trial was necessary to find out what everybody knows, which is, of course... In my opinion, in my opinion only, Musk bailed out Solar City, uh, which, of course, that business went defunct for the most part shortly thereafter, which Musk hilariously turned around during his testimony and blamed on COVID, which is hilarity on another level because Mr. Huge Brain said in April of 2020, 2020 that COVID was not going to be a big deal. Remember, coronavirus panic is dumb, he tweeted. And now he's turning around and saying to everybody, asking why Solar City wasn't doing any business, like, don't you guys know that we were in the middle of a huge pandemic? It was really serious. Yeah, it was so serious. You fucking tried to force your employees back to Fremont to work when people were scared shitless. We still didn't understand anything about the virus and we didn't have any vaccines. That's how serious it was to him at the time. But now, all of a sudden, that it's convenient for his narrative, Musk is testifying that, hey, man, it wasn't me. It was the one-armed COVID man. (laughs) Oh, my God. From what I hear, the judge is a sharp guy. I've been hearing conflicting opinions on this trial. 
my dear friend Kubiko, who is one of the smarter people that I know, says he thinks Musk is going to get off. Yet I've also heard that the attorney, or I'm sorry, that the judge is a sharp guy, which would be great. And apparently the judge asked some questions of Musk after he you know, gave his testimony. There was, uh, you know, direct and then there was cross and then redirect. And then the judge asked him some questions, I think specifically tailored to whether or not the solar business was integral for Tesla at the time, which of course it isn't because Tesla is a fucking car company. So unless the cars are driving around with solar panels on the roofs, which they're not, it's very obvious to me, you, and even a younger child with brain damage that Musk bailed out Solar City. In my opinion, all just my opinion, there was a uh, a live blog on Zero Hedge about the trial, and I want to see if I can just pull it up real quick. Here it is, uh, because there were some interesting things in here. Apparently, somebody threw up in the uh, courtroom on the second day of Musk's testimony. Which somebody put on Twitter that uh, maybe Musk paid that guy to like fake throw up if he started doing poorly in terms of questioning, which I wouldn't put past Musk at all. Bloomberg reports a court security officer says the courtroom is closed for two hours after a person threw up. The recess was called because someone vomited in the courtroom, a court official confirms. We don't know who. Could have been anybody in the gallery just tired of listening to Musk's bullshit, you know? I almost lost my lunch when I had to listen to Steve Leesman today. So I completely understand. Here's what the judge was asking. This is why I pulled this article up. The judge is now asking questions of Musk, asking about power generation and storage and whether that business was consistent with Tesla's business at the time. Hmm. One is a fake foray into solar roof tiles that never existed in the way that they uh, were presented conceptually in 2016 or however many decades ago it was that he first pitched that fucking genius idea. Uh, And the other is uh, cars with batteries on four wheels with a steering wheel that go vroom vroom down the street. I don't think one has anything to do with the other. Actually, they 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 don't go vroom vroom anymore. That's the internal combustion engine. But they do make a sound when they uh, unintendedly accelerate into inanimate objects. So more like boom, boom when they hit the street. Washington Post's Will Oramus writes, Musk insists the solar roof timetable really was optimism, not intentional deception. Yeah, all right, buddy. Oh, okay. Elon Musk said it wasn't deception. We should just believe him. He's got a great rack- track record of telling the truth. Just ask Robin Denholm, who said he uses Twitter wisely. <laughs> <laughs> he uses Twitter wisely. That's like saying Jeffrey Epstein used his bed sheets wisely. Anyways, Musk said, if I wasn't optimistic, I don't think I would have started an electric car company or a rocket company. A certain amount of optimism is necessary for such endeavors. Yeah, and mushrooms. But anyways, I guess he's done testifying. I hope shareholders wind up suing similarly over full self-driving. Because they released that beta 9.0 this past week. And if you saw any of the video, it looks exactly like the last one. So basically what happened was they released full self-driving beta like eight a couple months ago. Remember? The fucking thing was such a big, huge, horrifying 
embarrassment that Musk had to pull it off the market like unexpectedly. It was out for like a week or something. And then everybody was ridiculing him and ridiculing it because it was so fucking terrible. And it was, you know, jerking people's cars into the middle of the road. And, you know, just the fucking thing just doesn't work, right? I mean, that's a great way to put it if you're a non-technical-minded individual. So then there was this big, long, like, hey, we're going to work on a version 9, but we really got it right this time. So bear with us while we use our very big brains to put together version 9, which will be out in June, he was saying for months, which, of course, it wasn't. It came out in July, and it's like, meet this guy, same guy as the last guy. First thing that happens, I think, like, one of these YouTube accounts shows a video of somebody testing the FSD version 9. I think it was the same guy that tested the version 8. And he's out driving, and the thing is, like, jerking the car into fucking inanimate objects again and fucking up left turns and, you know, heading towards a big ditch in the road and not getting out of the way at construction cones and, like, just the basics. And you remember, like, in the interim, they, they're not using radar anymore. Now they're just using the video. And, uh, and the fucking thing just doesn't work. I mean, like, we could get into the specifics of why they're, like, light years behind Waymo and all these other companies. But the fucking thing doesn't work. And more importantly is that CEO Very Big Abrain has been selling this and collecting, you know, $10,000 per Tesla for a fucking thing that he has been saying is feature complete or whatever. You know, the hardware, every Tesla has the hardware necessary. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to find it because it's on that bullshit exposed Twitter account that I've been enjoying watching. So I'm going to pull that up. Of course, uh, BS underscore exposed or two underscores exposed. Anyways, it's uh, bullshit exposed is the name of the Twitter account. And uh, here's Musk here talking about this is in 2019. And I don't know if you're going to be able to hear this, but fucking whatever. I fucked it up. Hang on. Come on, idiot. Play the fucking video. All right, here he is. 2019, this is what Musk says. We expect to be feature complete in self-driving this year. Um, And we expect uh, to be confident enough from our standpoint to say that we think people do not need to touch the wheel, look out of the window sometime probably around, I don't know, second quarter of next year. By the middle of next year... Uh, we'll have over a million Tesla cars on the road with full self-driving hardware, feature complete, uh, at a reliability level that we would consider uh, that no one needs to pay attention. No one needs to pay attention. A reliability level that no one needs to pay attention. Next year, next quarter, next year. Bing, bang, boom. This is all shit he said in 2019. You know, and now he had to like pull the beta because he was saying people weren't paying attention. He was literally just saying like, you don't have to fucking touch the wheel. You can just... Look out the window and just fucking like diddle your ding dong and the car will do all the driving for you. And here we are in 2021 and he has instead served up, you know, an Atari version of pole position uh, and the cars are doing whatever they want. So, you know, look, 
you got a lot of problems here. The first is the Federal Trade Commission should be stepping in and saying this is the largest bait-and-switch scam in the history of fucking anything that's been waved right in front of our fucking face before. I mean, if you can't discern the fact that this guy doesn't have the product that he's been selling for the last five years and likely isn't going to have it without some other massive type of capital investment, not only that, that it's a huge safety hazard, that he's been pitching it as autopilot and full self-driving, when basically, to the best of my understanding, the first thing the car wants to do when you activate it is, you know, find somebody on the road to try to kill, uh, which is really, I mean, that's, I mean, the, the stories pop up every day of these cars. And people say, well, there's a lot of them out there. Yeah, but there's not that many. You know, like you can't, you can't have one of these a day. They start to add up, you know, the, the thousand of them or whatever over the last fucking like five years. Who knows? That number's wrong, but I'm just saying. The point is, where is the Federal Trade Commission? Where is the Securities and Exchange Commission for booking all this FSD deferred revenue that they recognize? You know, that money should all be refunded to everybody. They don't have full self-driving. End of story. The fucking thing doesn't work. No matter how much bullshit and nonsense and, you know, Fed speak Elon Musk gives you, the thing just doesn't work. It's level two autonomy. It's not full self-driving. It's not even past the half. There's five levels. They're not even past the halfway mark. Level three would be, you know what, 60% of full self-driving. They don't even have that. They're at 40% of full self-driving. Level two. And even that fucking thing doesn't work. You know, even the, even the level two thing doesn't work. You turn it on to like, you know, eat your English muffin in the car in the morning and the car is looking around like the, uh, the, the evil kit in Knight Rider just trying to, you know, run innocent people off the road. Remember that kit and car car was the bad version of kit. And then kit and car, whoever wrote that show was a fucking genius. You want to talk about somebody that had to be on acid. We're going to make a car, you know, that's like, uh, I forget what the the company was night industries or whatever. We're going to make a car that like does everything in the future. Uh, you know, and it goes 200 miles an hour and it talks and it jumps off cliffs and it's got everything in it. It's got a Mr. Coffee, you know, it's got everything you need, right? And then the the anti-hero of that series eventually became another car. We made another kit, but something happened somewhere where uh, it fell off the wagon. It became a ne'er-do-well uh, kit, now called car, with capabilities equal to that of kit for, ladies and gentlemen, the ultimate futuristic car showdown. That's what was going on. I mean, there was a lot of great writing. Remember Airwolf? How do you how do you write a fucking hour-long show that plays, like I think, like once a day and make a script always with the solution being a guy in a helicopter? How many problems can you come up with that are solved by a guy in a helicopter? You got, all right, well, maybe uh, some guy needs to get from point A to point B. Fine. Maybe you need to, you know, traffic something from one place to another. Maybe you need to shoot something out of the sky. Maybe you need to shoot something on the ground. And that's pretty much it. I'm out of fucking ideas if you ask me to write a series about a guy that solves problems with his helicopter. But Airwolf did it. And Kit had car. And Superman 4 had the nuclear man fighting Superman. So anyways, I forgot how I got on this. The point is full self-driving doesn't fucking work. Uh, and it's not full. And it's not self-driving. So maybe they should just call it slightly less than half by the way, you're still driving. That's what they should call it, you know? Or, you know, just don't bill it as full self-driving. Just bill it as driving. 
which, by the way, is what everybody is doing in their cars all the time. 500 million, trillion, billion cars on the road right now, and everybody is driving. So you're going to do is just drop the words full and self, and then you just be driving. And there's no fraud in billing it as driving because that's what fucking everybody does when they sit behind the wheel of their car. They're just driving. Jesus. And the idea that this thing is just out on the road running rampant and that nobody's done anything about it is really, it's just insane. And the fact that Musk has been able to kind of perpetrate this and keep it going by just double talk and backspeak and nonsense, it's just like, it's, you know, at some point, uh, look, you know, I don't hold out much hope for humanity in general, but at some point you feel like, man, even even the people on his side have to recognize this. And I saw Galileo Russell, who is the uh, the young, hip gentleman that hosts on HyperChange TV. Yo, we're going to get HyperChange, fool. Give me a HyperChange. I want a hyper, I want to blast off into the motherfucking future at a trillion miles an hour. We're going. Meet you in HyperChange TV. We're going to colonize Mars. We're going to colonize Jupiter. We're going to colonize the fucking sun. Galileo Russell even came out and said he did like a review of Full Self-Driving 9. And he was like, yeah, well, uh, the old beta was like one intervention every 30 minutes. And this one's like one intervention every 30 minutes. And then you just hear him kind of like, yeah, well, uh, so this thing's kind of like the same as it was. And then at the end, he says... Yeah, I'm kind of wondering when Tesla is going to actually make the leap to full self-driving. It's like, dude, are you starting to wake up? Do you hear the words that are coming out of your mouth? Remember Rush Hour? You hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? Galileo, do you hear the words that are coming out of your own fucking mouth? That's what I got to ask you. Like Spencer Schiff, you know, saying at $55,000, I wish I had more cash to buy Bitcoin. It's like, maybe you should examine why you don't have any cash. That would be a good start. Do you hear the words that are coming out of your mouth? I like you, Spencer. You're a good dude. You can come on the podcast sometime too, by the way. We'll talk soon. And um, I like you, uh, other guy, Galileo, who blocked me on Twitter, but whatever. I think I pissed him off at one point. Who gives a shit at this point? You know, I think uh, Pompliano might have blocked me too. By the way, I extended an invitation to Pompliano to come on the podcast and everything was fine, and we were going to do an interview, or I was going to go on his, and then all of a sudden, he just went radio silent, and he's just like, I guess it's just not happening, he's just like, gonna ignore me, that's fine, I just watched this thing with Peter Schiff yesterday, he did a, uh, I don't know, he's doing a podcast now, more competition for me, by the way, everybody on earth has a podcast now, it's officially time for me to take my podcast outside and shoot it in the head, and just put it out of its misery, because every idiot in the world now has a podcast, because everybody thinks they have something important to say, at least I tell you what I say isn't important, but Pompliano had Schiff on, and, you know, you watch him try to debate Bitcoin seriously, and he just keeps taking these little jabs at Peter. You know, he's not arguing the facts. He, he makes these, like, little, like, anecdotes, and he takes these little, like, ad hominem, like, shots at, at Peter. And even though the tone of the discussion was jovial, and they were trying to discuss it, but they were also having a good time, and you know that they're friends, and I'm happy for them, and I hope they have a nice enriching friendship for many years to come but there were so many times in the discussion where he just made these little snide remarks when Peter was trying to make a legitimate point and it's just like I mean I guess you can't fucking discuss it with these guys you know there's so he said is Peter said to him is there a point where you would sell you know if it gets down to 10 or 5,000 would you throw in the towel and instead of answering him honestly Pompliano's like 
is there what would I do if unicorns came out of the sky and Peter's like that is like not the same thing he's like it was at 10,000 like last year it's not that crazy of an idea to think that it would go back to 10,000 you know and Pompliano was like and he turned it back around he's like is there a price where you would sell out of gold you know and Peter's like no like I advocate for gold you know so I would just buy more if I thought it was cheap you know but like and so instead of just answer which is an honest question Right, like, what would it take if Bitcoin went to one dollar? Would you admit that you were wrong? Like, would, does Max Kaiser admit he's wrong if it goes to one dollar? I'll tell you right now, if it goes to a million, you know, he'll be the first one to come out and say I'm right. So, what point do you say I'm wrong? Is it zero? Is it? Does it go to zero? Does it go to a dollar? I don't know. I guess there'll be a bid for it at some point. Hey, somebody just paid like a million two for a unopened copy of The Legend of Zelda for the Nintendo Entertainment System. So, uh, you know, everything, uh, there, there might be a bid for it. It's just the question is like, where's the market going to set that price? Meanwhile, as people are paying a million dollars for an 8-bit video game, the Fed still sees no signs of bubbles. All right. Remember when he walks into the uh, restroom? I think it's in The Cable Guy, the movie The Cable Guy with Jim Carrey. Or maybe it's Ace Ventura. And he walks in and there's a blind bathroom attendant. And he's like, excuse me, you didn't happen to see anything at all (laughs) it's the same deal hey Jerome Powell excuse me you didn't happen to see any inflation at all did you no he didn't and uh, while he was back talking and double speaking a la Elon Musk full self-driving style today running interference for him were the duo of uh, Scott Wapner and Steve Leisman on CNBC today who were providing, I guess, what they would call analysis. I I think it was just making the situation worse. I mean, it was bad enough that the stuff that came out of Powell's mouth was, for the most part, bilge. But, like, it's like, all right, they just didn't even dress it up. They just made it worse. They just, like, advocated for Powell's points even harder uh, instead of, you know, putting a spin on them. And it's just mystifying to watch Steve Leisman talk about the Fed, because he's constantly leaving them out. He's, you know, it's like Phil LeBeau when he reports on Elon Musk. You know, it's like, well, Musk has been saying for years that full self-driving is going to work. And, well, he's not quite there yet, but we've got high hopes. It's like, actually, he's been lying for four years. So why don't you just call it that? Or like, I, I, can you take the blinders off? Like, how incapable are people of seeing reality? What is it going to take? I mean, there's just no, you know, and and Leisman was doing the same thing. As soon as I turned on CNBC today to catch some of the testimony against my better judgment after I got home from blowing a fucking like three piece lead in chess, I was already angry. But uh, after I got home, I turned the fucking TV on and the first words out of Leisman's mouth were like, Yes, well, uh, you know, the Fed thinks it's going to be transitory, and that means it it likely is. And so uh, I think Powell feels like he's got total control here, and everything's fine, and they have tools. It's like none of those things are true. None of them. Peter Schiff said on that Pompliano podcast today, the only thing that's transitory is the fact that we're transitioning to higher inflation. You know, that's it. It's transitory in the sense that we're moving to higher inflation, but we're not moving back. You know, is the point he was trying to make. So, you know, and it's not even like Lisa would give you 75% backing the Fed and 25% skepticism. There's just no skepticism. It's just towing the Fed's line, you know? 
And then I don't know what will happen. You know, for five minutes once a week, they let Rick Santelli come on and shriek at the camera, you know, because they don't give him enough time and they don't let him uh, be skeptical of, of the Fed. And the network, you know, in my opinion, isn't that balanced. So, you know, Santelli probably has all fucking week to think about. He's probably at home right now smoking fucking Marlboro Reds, just chain smoking, just like, man, I get my five minutes this week. I got some fucking things to say, you know. And then, of course, by the time he gets on camera on Friday, you know, the anchor's the lighthearted hand of, hey, Rick, thank God it's Friday, huh? You know, his face is already bright red. He's like, Jerome Powell is a fucking maniac. And, of course, everybody laughs at Santelli. It's just like, shit. We got we to gotta get the message out. We got to get a little more balance, you know, when it comes to reporting this stuff. At least they used to have people that were critical on. And then Wapner says today, he's like, well, we're going to have Jeff Gunlock on tomorrow. And uh, uh, I'm guessing uh, Jeff may have uh, some, you know, alternate opinions on what the Fed's doing uh, based on what he said last time. It's like, motherfucker. Gunlock thinks the Fed is full of shit. Why don't you just say that? You know, I'm guessing he he might have a little difference of opinion. Everybody knows crazy Jeff Gunlock is going to come on and uh, might have a difference of opinion. It's like, look, Gunlock calls it like he sees it, and he knows his shit. All right? You don't get dubbed the title of fucking the Bond King or bond fucking whatever his title is i don't fucking know the guy wears purple velvet suits that's all you need to know look you don't walk around in a purple velvet suit okay and get the title of like you know the big ball bond bastard of baskin robbins or whatever alliterative title he's got (laughs) this shit i come up with who the like who the fuck knew that was in my head you don't, you know, you don't get that title with not knowing what you're talking about. And 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 Gunlock does see the macro economy a lot of the same ways that, you know, guys like Schiff do. So, you know, but we should have a little more balance. That's all I'm saying. We should have a little more balance. You know what I mean? I can't, I don't want to risk having to barf up my lunch every time I just want to turn on CNBC. And by the way, there's people on CNBC that I love. Too. You know, I met Tyler Matheson a couple years ago. He was like such a super nice guy. I think he interviewed me and at some panel in Las Vegas. Super nice guy. Love him to death. Meg Terrell. Love her reporting. Carl Quintanilla. Love him to death. Guy Adami. I wish you would lose your shit a little bit more on the air, but I like you too. You know, even though he's never come back on my podcast since the one time he came on. I think uh, maybe he got the, the tap. You know, remember in Seinfeld, you get the tap on the shoulder? means it's time to stop. <laughs> I think I think Adami got the tap. I think somebody said, don't go fucking back on there. So he's never come back on. But I still love Guy Adami because he calls it like he sees it and he makes sense. And even though I think he's a little too measured, you have to be, you're on network television, you know, he'll chime in and say, oh, I've got a difference of opinion here. Instead of just saying, I think you're all fucking crazy, which is what I think he's thinking at the time. But I like Guy Adami too. You know, so there's people on the network I like. It's not like I'm the anti- CNBC, you guys should have Peter Schiff back on. He would be great for ratings, especially if it turns out that he's right about everything. That would be a great time to have him on, you know? And he could have those two fucking Scott, whatever his name is, Scott Nations or whatever the nerd was that used to come in on the SIBO floor, whatever, the exchange. I think Peter's, remember Art Laffer in 2007? I think Peter's totally off base. Dude, we're going to have a slight slowdown in housing, but that's not going to be a crash. Huh? <laughs> I 
I'll, Art Laffer was like, Art Laffer was like, I'll bet you a penny, Peter, that you're wrong. And Schiff said to him during the interview, he's like, I'll bet you a lot more than a penny, you know? And then, of course, the housing market collapsed shortly thereafter. Everybody in those Peter Schiff was right videos. Oh, I love that. I hope that we get to see another one of those. I really do. And because I don't want uh, any type of praise or adoration, I hope everybody makes it. I hope people make a video of everything I get wrong. You make a Peter Schiff was right and a Chris Irons was wrong. You know, everything that I get wrong, just put into one big thing and we can we can celebrate my failures together. By the way, speaking of failures, Kathy Wood has said that she is getting out of China. No sooner did I message my friend today and say, I think this China thing is, you know, a little overblown. And no, hey, look, there's no bigger skeptic of China than me. There's no bigger skeptic of U.S. listed China-based equities than me. Nobody plays more hardball with China than I do. Not me, not fucking sleepy Joe Biden. Nobody, nobody, nobody's more skeptical of China. Maybe, you know, Dan David is more skeptical of China than I am, or, you know, Carson or those guys that have been doing it longer than I have. But... Even I said today to my buddy, I said, I'm buying some Tencent today because I think that, uh, you know, we overshot the mark here a little bit to the downside. And you have to apply certain special valuation kind of tricks in your head when it comes to, so you have to discount everything you get. I covered it all on my DD episode, which is the last podcast episode before this one. If you want to hear why you should be skeptical of US listed China-based equities, that is a great one to listen to. But keeping all those things in mind, I think yeah, I feel like we really kind of like maybe are overshooting our mark here with this Beijing crackdown. You know, I was buying some DD in the 11s, uh, and I would I would have bought more if it got down into the single digits because you just don't go out and cancel the country's largest ride sharing service in the country. You know, Tencent is essentially Google in uh, in China. I mean, Tencent is a massive, massive corporation. Uh, in China, it's you know like a multinational uh, tech conglomerate, very similar to uh, to Google uh, in terms of like its reach and what its subsidiaries do. Um, but it does a bunch of things, and you, you, know, you just don't cancel those companies. You might be able to sanction them. You might be able to talk tough to them. You don't wipe them off the face of the earth. So it's not like Tencent's business is just going to stop tomorrow, or you know, this well they banned Didi's apps. It's like yeah, well. You know, there's no fucking Uber in China. So people are going to have to ride share somehow. It's just the government wants their pound of flesh, whatever it is, whether it's data sharing, whether they want more money, whether they want public praise or adoration heaped onto Xi Jinping, who, by the way, nobody is tougher on China than I am. Maybe that's what it is. You know, maybe he just wants some uh, adoration. Regardless, I think that, you know, at some point there will be a thing that's put out like China has agreed to work with uh, Baba and uh, Tencent and Didi on uh, future prospects that will benefit all Chinese people or some shit like that. And then the stocks will rally fucking 10% that day, regardless of whether or not the numbers are made up. So no sooner do I say that than I see an article today that Kathy Wood is out of uh, her Chinese equities. And I'm going to read that to you right now as soon as I find it. Which I can't because I do no prep work in front of this. Here it is. ARK funds are offloading their exposure to China-based equities. This is Zero Hedge today at 1.45 p.m. Never one to be the contrarian. (laughs) Kathy Wood's ARK Invest has had enough of Chinese stocks after the recent DD debacle. 
ARK has been unloading its Chinese stocks with holdings falling to the lowest on record, Bloomberg noted. The country has a less than 1% weighting in ARK's innovation ETF down from 8% in February. So while she was selling Tencent and JD, I was in there buying. And that's what I like. I like being on the other side of the ARK trade because Kathy Wood, uh, in my opinion, uh, doesn't know her ass from a hole in the ground. So it's not always the worst thing to be on the other. Well, you're on the you're on the opposite end of well, you know, there's a highly uh, popular trader that that's been covered in the news. Yes, that's where I want to be. I want to be on the I want to be the counterparty to Kathy Wood. Effective now, not all the way up to where she got to now. But now I'm, you know, and that's why I'm also I own some ARKK puts as a hedge instead of buying puts on like the Qs or something like that. Because it just feels extra special to bet against Kathy and her firm. I had a million other things I wanted to talk about, including why inflation's not transitory, which of course I think everybody understands. If you need help, go to 7-Eleven tonight, buy a fucking bag of potato chips and a Coke, and when the guy asks you to hand him $36, you may start to understand that inflation is eventually going to be a problem. There's a, there's a fun experiment you can do at home uh, at your local 7-Eleven, whatever you need to do to enjoy yourself while you're there, pick out food items you like, smoke half a joint before you go in. Uh, I don't really know. None of those are recommendations. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a financial advisor. I don't even like being here for the most part. I have no confidence in anything that I've said, and I highly recommend that you stop listening to this podcast altogether. With that being said, it was lovely talking to everybody today. I got shit to do, and I am out. Peace.